You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, politics editor for The Griot and associate professor of political science at Fordham University. In this podcast, we ask our guests five of The Blackest Questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. We're also going to learn a lot about Black history, past and present. So here's how this works. We have five rounds of questions about us. Black history, the entire diaspora, current events, you name it. And with each round, the questions get a little tougher, and the guest has 10 seconds to get it right. If they answer the question correctly, they'll receive one symbolic black fist, and they'll hear this. And if they get it wrong, they'll hear this. But we still love them anyway. Our guest for this episode is Grammy-nominated singer and songwriter Kim. His hits, I Can't Stop Loving You and Love Calls, made him an R&B sensation. Had my mind made up, and I can't stop loving you. I can't help myself. He's toured the world for nearly 20 years, and his work has been recognized by the Billboard Music Awards, the NAACP, BET, the Soul Train Awards, and of course, the Recording Academy. Kim is also an author, releasing his memoir this year titled, Share My Life, A Journey of Love, Faith, and Redemption. Kim, I am super excited to have you here. Are you ready to play the Blackest Question? I will find out. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to find out. Listen, you got a lot of fans out there who are rooting for you, so I know this is going to be a great episode. Okay, question number one. Let's just jump right into it. In 1959, this Black-owned record label was created by a former automobile worker who introduced white America to dozens of talented Black acts during the height of the Civil Rights Movement. What is the name of this record label? Uh, I think that would be Motown. That is correct. Motown Records. Barry Gordy made history when he opened Motown Records in Detroit, Michigan, and was urged to do so by his friend Smokey Robinson. The label gave us chart-topping acts like The Temptations, Diana Ross and the Supremes, The Jackson Five, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, the list goes on and on. And Motown sound became synonymous with great melodies and the use of tambourines, hand clapping, and strong bass lines. So, you signed to Motown in 2001. How did that happen and how did that change your entire career? Um, There was no career prior to signing to Motown. (laughs) I I was... uh... You know, I did it the old-fashioned way. We 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 mm-hmm. earned it, right? I was selling CDs out of my my first album, Chemistry. I was selling on my own, literally out of the trunk of my car, right? And our goal was what was your car? Hold on, we need a visual. My Kim. car was at the what time. Car was what was it? I driving? I was driving a nineteen ninety four Toyota Camry. That's right. right. That's a solid Look, car. I put three hundred thousand miles on that car and then gave it to somebody uh-huh. else. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I was selling my I was, I was selling my album in true entrepreneurial Detroit hustle style. We sold mm-hmm. ten thousand copies on our well steps at the end I'd sold seventeen thousand copies on my own. And then we 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 uh garnered the uh attention of uh of of the Motown record label and 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 here we are and here we sit today. You know, Here 20, 20 years later. Wow. And tell us a little bit more about this new memoir. It's called, for our listeners out there, Share My yeah. Life, A Journey of Love, Faith, and Redemption. Because you have such a beautifully amazing story. Yeah. And we know that one time, one point in time, you were unhoused. Uh, in your memoir, you talk about sort of your, your struggles with addiction. How and when did you turn things around? 
Um, I got sober in July of 1990. I got my ex. My last drink was on my was on my biological birthday, July okay. 23rd of 1990. Uh, so it's now. So it's also my. Uh, so it was a, a a rebirth. You know, I was literally born again. I um um. You know, I came to the to 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 a place where I was, as we say in recovery circles, sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, and uh, I ran out of uh, of uh, my ideas on how to solve my problems because obviously my best thinking got me to where I was. Right. So there's an adage that I love that says, mm-hmm. "When the student is ready, the teacher appears," and um, mm-hmm. and I was mm-hmm. and I was I was ready. I surrendered on that day. And um and 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 met some some folks who who uh who showed me a better way to live. Oh, I love that. I really do. And did you get your start in the church like a lot of folks in in the business, or where did you start singing and realize you just you had a, a real talent? I think you know when I was a when I was a toddler and uh, I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. My 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 grandfather was a preacher, so my earliest musical memories are of trying to emulate the music that I heard in the church on his piano and in, in, in his hall, <laughs> which, you know, drove everybody crazy. Boy, don't you, t- don't you stay off that piano. <laughs> right. right? Um, right. so I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I wasn't in the choir or in the church per se, but definitely there was an influence there. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't join a church choir until I was probably in my, my late twenties early thirties. And then, uh, and, 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 and that was a transformative experience as well. I was working with, you know, a lot of great people in the city of Detroit, a lot of great musicians. And I kind of cut my teeth in the choir and and in the wedding bands. Mm -hmm. Now, before we move on to question number two in a quick break, let's circle back to this book because what can our readers expect? I think a lot of people, you know, absolutely love your music. (laughs) They, they love to, to curl up with a special somebody to your music. But what else do you want us to learn about you, uh, the man, from from this uh, this memoir? Well, people who've been following me over the past 20 years have, have heard me speak uh, about some of my journey from the stage and in different I- interviews. You know, people are familiar, but the book was actually a being able to, to, to have a, a book that encapsulates my journey from my beginning until now is the perfect medium to really expound on my life on uh it's not a it's not a self-help book but i have experienced great healing and great transformation in my life because somebody shared their story with me you know mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and i am in a sense paying it forward i'm hoping that i can do the same for somebody else with my book absolutely i you know as as someone who writes as well, I you know, whenever I struggle with writer's block, I always try to remember someone needs to read these pages yeah. to see themselves, you know, to see their humanity, yeah. to help them understand the world a little bit better. And I know for our listeners out there, if you, if, you know, you haven't picked it up yet or put it on pre-order, um, be sure to check out Kem's new memoir, Share My Life, A Journey of Love, Faith, and Redemption. Uh, Kem, stay with us. You're doing very well. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with Kem. And we're back. I'm with R&B singer, Kim. Kim, thank you so much for joining us on The Blackest Questions. It's my pleasure. You are doing incredibly well. Let's see if we can keep this streak going. Question number two, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. 
This black neoclassical pianist is also from Detroit and is known for mixing classical music and hip hop. Oftentimes his covers of hip hop songs go viral on social media. Who is he? And here's a hint. He's actually been a guest here and played the blackest questions. It's not, it's not, if I, if it is, I didn't know he was from Detroit. The only person that comes to mind immediately is Robert Glasper. No, it's not Robert Glasper, it's Black Bach. Black Bach started playing piano at the age of six. Okay. He's worked with some of the biggest names in the music industry, including Rihanna, Justin Timberlake, and John Mayer. And he's worked to normalize black figures in the classical music world. Now, do you know who Black Bach I is? I do, I'm not, I'm, I'm totally unfamiliar. I'm embarrassed. Well, no, that's okay. Well, this is the whole point of the Blackest Questions. Hey, we're learning about people we should know, and hopefully you two can collaborate at some point in time. Yeah, did you ask him um, about me? Oh, <laughs> no, no, but we'll, we'll invite him back on the show. Maybe you guys can can do a head to head. We can have a special Blackest Questions episode, a musical episode. Yeah. Um, maybe you guys can play something for us. Oh, my listeners would absolutely love that. But I know that you started exploring on the keyboard at a very young yeah. age and fell in love with music. Yeah. What was it like growing up in such a musical city like Detroit? Is it, you know, like the movies portray where everybody's musical? Because listen, Ken. I used to lip sing in church. That's how bad my voice yeah. is. Okay. Like when I would sing, people would look around thinking that birds were falling from the sky and not in a good way. So is it one of those pressure cookers in the sense that like everybody's got talent and everyone's playing an instrument and has a beautiful voice? Like where did you fit in in the larger pantheon of Detroit? You know, Detroit is a very musical city. Um, and, mm-hmm. I, and I cut my teeth in the top 40 bands, uh, wedding bands, uh, okay. singing at bar mitzvahs and the casinos. Detroit is a working musician's town, you know. Um, mm. So walk us through what that means. That means that these that that these musicians are are not musicians that you may necessarily see on the cover of Billboard or or Rolling Stone, but they 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 work harder than those of us who are in the mainstream music industry, right? Because they're playing. Because before I signed Motown, my set was, you know, now my set is probably seventy five minutes, maybe an hour and a half at the most, mm-hmm. but then, back then, the working musician is playing four 45-minute sets with 20-minute breaks in between. <laughs> okay, You know, wow. I mean, they are, yeah, that's you know, and then getting up in the morning and going to their, and going to their nine to five, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. hardest, the hardest working musicians I know, you know, are, are, are in Detroit and they're, and they're represented all over the country, of course, but, uh, but you can't help being from Detroit. You can't help but be infected, affected by the legacy of, you know, I mean, from Marvin Gaye to Stevie Wonder, Anita Baker, Aretha Franklin. I mean, you can't help but but be, you know, uh, affected by that. And if you're in the music mm-hmm. business, you feel a a, um, you know, you feel a responsibility. You know, you're from Detroit, you know, so you need to so you need yeah. to represent. You know, and uh, and and that's something that uh, I'm I'm very proud of, and and I'm I'm very very grateful for being a part of the of of, of the Detroit musical legacy and history. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, can you think of one of your first big gigs as a working musician where you're like, I made it? You know, I'm playing, you know, a, a sixty person wedding. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, I still don't feel like I've made it. You know, Mm, I keep, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I keep, there's a, there's a, there's a, what an adage or a maxim. I love chop wood, carry water, right? Chop wood, carry water. Mm. You know, um, I'm always in the, in the process of trying to become better. 
Um, I don't take it for granted, you know, whether there are 300 people in the audience or whether we're playing to an audience of, of, of tens of thousands, you know, it's, it's, I show up the same, you know, I show up the same mm-hmm. and do the work the same and, and, and require and demand the, the same uh, excellence from myself and those who are working, working with me. Um, so I take it. You know, there there are many moments of, you know, playing the Fox Theater. We just paid the Fox Theater on Woodward Avenue in Detroit, which is the an iconic Detroit venue. Right. Um, you know, where they used to do the Motown Review, you know, where Diana Ross and the Supremes mm. and the Temptations, you know. So, I mean, there are those moments, you know, but but every every performance is important. You know, every 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 moment that Absolutely. we have is one that that uh, every every moment and every opportunity that I have to do this is one that I don't take for granted. Absolutely. Um, well, we're going to take a quick commercial break. I'm with the humble and, uh, you know, wonderful uh, R&B singer, Kim, who's also an author. For those of you who have not gotten his book and you're just tuning in, pick up his memoir, Share My Life, A Journey of Love, Faith and Redemption. We'll be right back. And we are back with R&B soul singer, Kim. Kim, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, are you ready to play question number three in the Blackest Question? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. This group is the oldest and largest civil rights organization in America and was founded in 1909 as an interracial endeavor to advance justice for black people. What organization is it? Okay. Can I have two guesses? (laughs) I'll let you have two guesses. Go ahead. What's the first one? NAACP. That's right. Let's stop there. (laughs) The National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, also known as the NAACP. Some of its co-founders included Ida B. Wells Barnett and W.B. Du Bois. Its members grew rapidly from about 9,000 in 1917 to nearly 100,000 just two years later. And today there are more than 2,200 chapters nationwide. And when it first began, the NAACP was focused on eradicating lynching. And over the years, it played a huge role in economic justice, and its significance in the legal realm can't be measured. The NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, then headed by Thurgood Marshall, won the case Brown versus Board of Education, which outlawed segregation in public schools. And the group has also organized some of the biggest protests in American history and has posted bail for countless people arrested while demonstrating. And you know what's interesting, Kim? Uh, our listeners can't see this, but behind me, I keep my grandfather's, my late grandfather's NAACP card right here behind me just to remember um, so some of the quiet activism that he participated oh, wow. in. I didn't realize that, you know, this is on my mother's side of the family. I didn't realize that my mom's dad was actually a member of the NAACP until he passed and I was clearing out, you know, some of their drawers. And so this this long legacy of the NAACP, yeah. and this was in Northern Florida, always inspires me. And I know that you've been nominated for several NAACP yeah. Image Awards. Yeah. Do you see your, I mean, a lot of us know your music, especially our, our female listeners out there, we know your music as, you know, this beautiful love songs. But do you see your music as political or do you leave that to other artists? Um, that is that's that's a great that's a great question. Um, I have become known for love songs, uh, for songs mm-hmm. that speak to relationship, that speak to faith, that speak to that speak to healing. Um, my last album, on my last album, Love Always Wins, which came out in 2020, as we were in the midst of the pandemic, you know, I did, I did, I did 
venture off into talking about not so much not so much politics, but just you know, I talked about social media. You know, I talked about uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't mention uh, our former president by name, but I but I you, but I but I I, I I spoke on that. You know, uh, because of the the times that we were living in. I think you're so much smarter. nor will we be the same after 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 22 you know with the <laughs> with the pandemic we've been through some with, things with Ken. Po- we've been you through know what i'm saying things. Po- poli- the divisiveness in the country politics the pandemic mm-hmm. you know i mean it's it, it's it's really been a lot so i think that going forward my music more and more will be will be informed by by current events not so much political necessarily but definitely definitely speak to to the pulse of, of like what's going on in society for sure. And dare I say, Kim, you know, I'm, I know your music isn't just for black people, yeah. but you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the black people I know who listen to your music. You know, this idea of black love is also a radical and a political act yeah. that you sort of celebrate, you know? And so I actually do see it. Uh, and I read into it as this, this political act of us loving freely, you know, and, and the way you sort of allow uh, men and women to have, sort of genuine emotion to one another through your music, I think is is a pretty powerful and profound yeah, profound that, thing that, that you that, provide. That's us. a wonderful, a wonderful insight that I will I will take with me from our meeting yeah, today. I mean Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, you know, I think a lot of artists, you know, you all produce and you put out. Yeah. And I'm not sure, you know, besides, you know, reading about your work and getting the awards, you know, the feedback, the genuine feedback of the appreciation of people uh, who allow, you know, you you provide a space for us to feel yeah. in a different way that's not always provided in society. Um, so I just want to say thank you. I'd like to give people their flowers while they're in front of well, me. Well, thanks. Thank you. Um, we are going to take a quick commercial break. I'm with R&B singer and author, Kem, and we'll be right back. Okay, Kem, we are back. We're playing the Blackest Questions. You're doing very well. Are you ready for question number four? Yeah, I'm ready. Go for it. Okay. All right. This particular type of food originated in Nashville, Tennessee, where you're from, and has become wildly popular the last few years. Its origin is linked to a black restaurant called Prince's. Can you name the dish I'm describing? And I've never had it. I've never, I have not had it. I have not had it. And, uh, well, let me make sure I got the right. (laughs) Okay. Make sure that I can answer the question. It's hot chicken. That's right. You are correct. Thornton Prince is credited with selling the first batch of hot chicken in Nashville in the 1930s that quickly became his restaurant's most popular dish. He actually created the recipe by accident when someone tried to sabotage his food by putting too much pepper in it as an act of revenge, apparently because Thornton was fighting with someone else over a woman. But Thornton took notice with that, and with some tweaking, the flavor was actually pretty good, and hence we have hot chicken. And so as you mentioned before, you were born in Nashville, You, you primarily were raised in Detroit. I always say Detroit, but I'm just going to say Detroit for today. I know you've traveled the world. You've traveled the country. Of all the places you visited, what city has the best food? Because we've had lots of chefs on the show. What city and I has love the food, best Kim. food? I will eat you at a house and home. Yeah, me too. Look, so I got to look. When... I got, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I like 
I'm still rocking my COVID fifteen. I don't care. I like to I like <laughs> to eat. I like to eat. Um so there are and you know, and I'm the guy who has, you know, I watch the food network or I'm watching uh Guy Fieri's uh uh, diners, di- diners right? driving. Look, yeah, driving, driving. Yes, I got a list in my phone. <laughs> cities and dishes that I want to try when I get there. That's how mm. serious I am about about eating. But to be diplomatically, politically, um, and maternally correct, I have to say, okay, that the best food is in Detroit because that's where my mother is. <laughs> okay. okay, that's right. Listen, I'm not trying to get you banned from any concert halls or the Thanksgiving table. So in addition to Detroit and obviously mom's cooking, yeah. you know, when you travel either domestically or internationally, what city were you like, okay, this is this is dangerous because I might not be able to fit in this outfit if I stay in this city too long. I went to, uh, I think the the most, I've had, right, and it's hard because I've had memorable meals like all over the country. I think the most inter- internationally, the best, the meal that I was taken aback by the most was in was in Italy, was in, was in Rome, right? Cause we would, we drove up into the, we drove up into these mountains and, uh-huh. and, you know, and you walk into the restaurant and the, the, you know, they have fish on ice as you're walking into the restaurant so that you can pick the fish out that you're going to have That's you know, right. that night. That's right. And I had the best pasta, the best spaghetti that I've ever had in my life. Right. And the, and the vibe is nobody's rushing. And it lasts all the meal lasts all you know it lasts for hours, mm-hmm. right? Uh, mm-hmm. That was that was probably one of the most memorable experiences I've had dining internationally. Yeah, and you can really savor it, you yeah. know, um, and you can savor the experience. Okay, so we're gonna take a quick break. I'm with Kim. We're talking about food. Now I want to go back to Italy and have a little pasta and some pizza, <laughs> and then scoot on over to France and have a little steak frites. But we'll be right back after this commercial break. Okay, we are back. I'm with RV Soul Sayer Kim, who's also an author of a new memoir that you got to be sure to check out. Kim, you're doing incredibly well playing the Blackest Questions. Are you ready for question number five? I think so. Okay. You're killing the game, Kim. <laughs> I mean, listen, you know, this is smooth sailing. It's the last big question. All right, question number five. This nonprofit organization was founded in 2015 in Baltimore, Maryland, my favorite city, and they help Black churches across the country plant gardens on their land huh so they can become healthy food hubs for their communities. What is the name of this organization? I do not know. The name is the Black Church Food Security Network, and this is a nonprofit group that works to create sustainable food systems in areas that are often overlooked in food apartheid, meaning racist policies that have led to limited access to healthy foods for certain areas, usually where black and brown people live. The Black Church Food Security Network also hosts farmers markets and prides themselves on buying wholesale from black farmers. So, and I know you've spoken and written about food insecurity as an issue you're very passionate about, and you've done a lot of philanthropy work with food banks and unhoused people. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, my my background is, uh, and thank you for that information. I was was unfamiliar with that organization. I um, spent uh, a few years as a teenager and young adult, my early twenties, uh, being, being, being homeless, being, you know, out in the streets of metropolitan Detroit in and out of uh, rescue missions and, and shelters. And I benefited from, uh, 
I've benefited from organizations like the Salvation Army and uh, and 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 Gleaners Food Bank and uh, you know I I so you know there is being homeless and being without the the basic necessities that you know that we can sometimes take for granted you know um, is one of the most traumatic experiences that a human being can go through um, <laughs> you know uh, so any opportunity that I have to to be of service uh, through my foundation, Mac and Third, um, we donate resources to people who are doing that, who are on the ground doing that work, you know, helping people. And, mm-hmm. and when I was, you know, when I was homeless, you know, I was just, you know, I was out there just, you know, I was, I was a young kid and I was in the throes of addiction, um, you know, and I met a lot of people on the streets who were, they could be, veterans or they could you know have mental illness you know but today you know the average the average person can be experiencing uh food insecurity you don't have to be mm-hmm. you don't have to have any of these these issues that we typically associate with being homeless and 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 not having a place to live or, or food to eat you know people have lost you know fortune 500 <laughs> jobs mm-hmm. and executives you know and have found themselves mm-hmm. in this in this predicament people who have worked and held jobs and held down jobs and families you know all of their lives have found themselves in this situation so um i'm i'm grateful for and we know for so yeah. many families it's one paycheck away you know what i'm saying uh from and covid showed us that yeah for real literally you know so uh so it's something that's very near and dear to my heart and uh you know and and i feel a responsibility a privilege you know to give back to those causes when I can. You mentioned your foundation briefly. Can you tell us a little bit more about it so we can support in any way we can? Yeah, Mac and Third is a foundation that we started in in Detroit back in 2012, and it was it really was an event that culminated around a live performance. <laughs> and it was a, a free concert, and people brought canned goods and donated money. We elevated to the point to where we were getting sponsors it wasn't a bona fide foundation until you know dte and and kroger and some other people started at home depot and lowe's you know they started so we we became bona fide this is not a movie this is my life um and we haven't done the event since since 2014 but we still but I still use it as a vehicle to, to to give. So we donate to causes and 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 different organizations, you know, around the world to help meet the needs of of, of things like 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 we're talking about. Yeah. So yeah, that's Mac and Third. Well, thank you so much for the work you do, and uh, for those of our listeners who want to do more. Again, the name of the organization that I mentioned in question number five was the Black Church Food Security Network in Baltimore, Maryland. Okay, so, Kim, I'm so appreciative of you spending some time with us. Are you ready for the Black Lightning Round? Okay, here we go. Okay, here we go. Now, there are no right or wrong answers. I just want you to tell me what first comes to your mind and to your heart, okay? okay? Now, we know you like soul food. What's the one dish you can't live without? Uh, greens. Mmm. Collard and mustard. Uh, no. Turnip and mustard mix. Ooh, turnip and mustard mix. A solid one. What's the most recent song you jammed out to? Uh, the most recent, uh, Right on Time by me. And who's that by? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. On vacation, are you looking to relax or fill it with activities and sightseeing? I'm, li- I'm looking to relax. Okay. All right. Before a live performance, are you calm or are you anxious? I'm anxious. 
And what do you do to like resolve that? It goes in nothing. It goes along with it. If I'm not anxious, okay, you know, yeah, yeah. If I'm not anxious, it's not right. <laughs> okay, all right. At Thanksgiving, are you eating sweet potato pie, pecan pie, pumpkin pie, or something else? Sweet potato else? pie. That's right. Listen, I make a sweet potato pie for my grandmother's recipe that'll make you change your life. There, there Tell you go. that okay. right now. <laughs> and would you rather read fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. Okay. Listen, everyone, you've been listening to one of our favorite singers, Kim. Kim, I want to thank you so much for playing The Blackest Questions. And to our listeners, don't forget to pick up a copy of Kim's new memoir, Share My Life, A Journey of Love, Faith, and Redemption. And Kim's new live album is also out this year. Kim, thank you again for joining us. Truly, truly, truly a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. All right. This show is produced by Sasha Armstrong and Jeffrey Trudeau. And Regina Griffin is our director of podcasts. If you like what you heard, subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can find more from the Grio Black Podcast Network on the Grio app, the website, or YouTube. Have a great one. Coming this February, the Grio Black Podcast Network presents Dear Culture, Truish Black Stories. When you think of sheer artistry, sheer creativity, um, the ability for someone to bring Black people together in the most fundamental ways, it's you know, I would say, of my four, Randy Watson's my number one. When the news about Ricky first broke, what I heard about it is the thing you hear about, you know, every time somebody black dies, that it was gang related. That means the police don't know what happened. So they just said, probably the gangs, probably, you know, the other black dudes. When I think of Akilah, you know, um, I think about, I just think about how impressionable white people can be. I think about how... You know, if you watch that movie again, you know, she should have lost like three times. Where were you when you heard the story about them suckers getting served by Wade's dance crew? You know, it's crazy that you mentioned this. So as a New Yorker, right, everyone knows where they were on 9-11, right? You know, a couple years later, right, 2003, everyone hears about this crazy moment in a boxing ring, because that's where dancers do get out, right? In boxing rings. If you could say something to Ricky right now, what would you say to him? Ricky, you shouldn't have never got that girl pregnant. You knew I had a crush on you. You should have got with me instead. Moments in Black culture examined like never before. Join us each week as we dive into the Black moments that changed us, that changed the world. Make sure to subscribe to Dear Culture so you never miss an episode.